Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're taking a deeper look at the Silicon Valley Bank failure that occurred on Friday of last week. This spectacular bank failure has been making headlines, and I'm not going to merely repeat the types of things you might be reading on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. That would not be adding any value to you. But I am going to go out on a limb and state categorically that the Federal Reserve indeed accidentally engineered the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. Now, that might sound like a bold statement. By the end, maybe you'll agree. If we go back to 2008, one of the things we learned was that the banks were often providing liquidity to one another. There was a tremendous amount of counterparty risk riddled throughout the financial system. One of the fixes to this problem was that the Federal Reserve printed an extraordinary amount of money through quantitative easing rounds 1, 2, and 3. A lot of that money did not go into the hands of consumers, but rather stayed within the banking system. The Federal Reserve would print funds, lend them to the banks at a very low interest rate, in fact at the time the interest rate was zero, and the banks in turn would put those reserves in excess of the statutory minimums back on deposit at the Fed for an interest rate. So the banks were collecting free interest on money that was loaned to them interest-free from the Federal Reserve. The Fed wanted each bank to be dealing directly with the Fed rather than with each other. Creating stability in the financial system and in the banking system required simplifying the intricate web of relationships between financial institutions as part of the process. The Federal Reserve purchased treasury bills, long-term treasuries, and mortgage-backed securities. And it's been a long-standing practice for banks to sell their mortgage-backed securities to one another and into the bond market in order to get these loans off their balance sheet. So let's look at Silicon Valley Bank in particular. This was a very well-capitalized bank. And, in the United States, banks are only required to hold 10% of their assets, that is, loans on their books, as deposits in reserve. This is the fractional reserve banking. If you go back prior to the pandemic, Silicon Valley Bank had a little over $20 billion in deposits on their books. Fast forward to the end of 2022, and the bank had close to $200 billion in deposits. Deposits had gone through the roof. The bank had only $209 billion in assets on their books. So for every dollar they had loaned in the marketplace, they almost had the equivalent dollars in deposit on their books. Most people would agree this made them an extremely well-capitalized bank. They were capitalized almost one for one. The problem is that without big leverage, they're not making very much money on those deposits. A lot of that money was funds belonging to technology startup companies. And in the tech world, those funds will eventually get used to fund things like payroll and capital projects as these startup companies work their way through the startup phase towards ultimately achieving revenue. It would make sense that those deposits would eventually bleed down. The bank needed to do something with the cash in the meantime, so they went out and purchased U.S. Treasuries and government-backed mortgage-backed securities. What could be better than buying the highest quality paper out there? 10-year treasuries, 30-year treasuries. They seemed to make the most sense. They offered the highest yield. Short-term T-bills at the time were not offering any substantive yield, so there was very little demand for T-bills. As rates have risen over the past 12 months, the value of those long bonds has fallen in the open market. If you needed to sell those bonds in the open market, you would get less than the face value. After all, why would a buyer purchase a 10-year treasury with eight years remaining on it, having a face value of 1.5% when you can go out in the market and buy 10-year treasuries today that are yielding 4%. And this is where Silicon Valley Bank got into trouble. As depositors withdrew their cash to spend on their businesses, the bank needed to sell assets in order to meet the cash minimums required by the statutory reserves. The bank did not keep enough in reserve, and they were forced to sell those assets at a loss. 
In the meantime, all of the assets were sitting on the bank's balance sheet at book value. After all, that makes sense. A 10-year treasury, the highest quality paper out there, why would you keep a 10-year treasury on anything less than 100 cents on the dollar? The value at maturity is 100 cents. So no reason to declare a loss on the current market value unless you're forced to sell. Likewise, if you had high-quality performing mortgage-backed securities, you would hold them on your balance sheet, carry them to maturity, and you would carry them at 100 cents on the dollar. Silicon Valley Bank's securities portfolio rose from about $27 billion in the first quarter of 2020 to $128 billion by the end of 2021 with all those extra deposits. So theoretically, that shouldn't be a problem. There were virtually no risk of defaulting, but they pay fixed interest rates. And unless the bank needed to suddenly sell, there wouldn't be an issue. Well, we all know what happened. The bank failed in spectacular fashion in what seemed like 48 hours. Clearly, the bank's leadership understood the gravity of the situation in the weeks leading up to the failure. It's alleged that the CEO sold shares in the weeks leading up to the collapse, but that's a discussion for another day. At the close of business on Thursday, a little more than $20 billion of the $175 billion still on deposit at the bank was FDIC insured. Warnings from venture capitalists to their clients is what caused the run on the bank. So the question is, how many other banks out there are carrying assets that in the open marketplace are clearly worth less than their book value? If depositors were to withdraw funds on a large scale or even a moderate scale and start putting their cash into T-bills or German bonds or some other high-quality paper, how many other banks would suffer the same fate as Silicon Valley Bank? Well, last June, when we met with Danielle DiMartino Booth in person at the Investor Summit on Sand, Danielle used to work for the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas for 10 years. She said some things that I remember to this day. She said the Federal Reserve would continue to raise interest rates until something breaks. We just don't know what would break. Well, now we do. The member banks that own the Federal Reserve are likely to be the biggest casualties of the Fed's rapid increase in interest rates. I predict that on Monday morning, one of the consequences of the Silicon Valley Bank failure will be a complete freeze-up of credit markets, a 100% stop of new loan originations almost nationwide. Businesses with more than a quarter million in bank balances may choose to move their excess fund into 60-day T-bills, and we're going to see a wave of panic buying on Monday. The yield for those 60-day T-bills is going to fall. We've already started to see panic buying in Asian markets overnight. It's not that hard to predict human behavior. So buckle up, folks, and make sure you have adequate liquidity in places where you can get at it. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.